0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: At the end of the previous program, I was explaining that there are many people who truly want to be judged for their works. They want to be judged for their deeds. They want God to see their good works, their good acts, They want him to see that they do not sin like other people do, and they want to be blessed in this life here and now, and they also want to be rewarded in the next life in heaven for their obedience and for their repentance and for the fact that they have found a way to be relatively holy, especially as they compare themselves with other people who are not so holy. People want God to render to them according to their deeds. Because they believe that their deeds are adequate. The fact of the matter is, though, that everyone sins and everyone has a need for the mercy of God. And without his gracious mercy, we would have no hope of entering into the kingdom of heaven under any circumstances whatsoever. And so beginning in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, it says, "...who will render to each person according to his deeds." And I was explaining in the previous program that if a person wants to be evaluated and judged according to their deeds then he will accommodate that. I'm very confident that he will accommodate that. And I was explaining in the previous program that the end result of that will be his wrath and indignation, that there is no way that they are going to receive glory and honor and immortality and eternal life because they are never going to do enough. This was the whole point of the gospel, of the good news. This is the whole message. This is the message of our God to us that if you want to be evaluated on the basis of your repentance and obedience, then there's no way you're going to make it. But there are so many people who truly want that. They want that because they have been deceived in their own minds. They have been deceived into believing that they will be successful. Again, in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, it says, "...who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality..." eternal life will be what they will receive. But then in verse 8, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. And of course, everyone will end up in verse 8 because no one will be able to persevere in doing good. No one will be able to do enough. In verse 9, it says, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek now i was explaining in the previous program that if a person does not acknowledge the gospel if they do not believe in the true and living god if they are recognized as an unbeliever if that's the case they can still be very religious They can still have their own system of law, they can have their own system of right and wrong, of good and evil, and they may still live according to that, even though it is a form of bondage or restraint on their own personal lives that they have imposed on themselves. But even though they do that, that doesn't mean that they're going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. It just means that regardless of whether an individual is an unbeliever or a believer, they are still going to be subject to the same standard. And the standard is simple. Are you willing to receive his mercy or not? If you're not, it's because you're wanting to rely on your own good works. You're wanting to rely on your own obedience. Now, he uses the phrase Jew first and also to the Greek. And in this context, it's important to understand that during this time period in history, the Jew was considered to be a believer And the Greek was considered to be an unbeliever. Now, today things are very different, but I personally believe that this phrase describes both categories of individuals, but during this time in history, people who were Jews were considered to be believers in the true and living God, and those who were Greeks were considered to be those who did not believe in the true and living God. That's how people were distinguished between being unbelievers and believers. But just because an individual was a Jew who believed in the true and living God did not mean that he was a believer, because he may not believe in the Messiah, he may not believe in the gospel. That's a very important thing to distinguish. But if you don't understand this phrase and how it was used during that time period, I think it's very easy to miss the way that he is using it, which is to combine both believers and unbelievers and say that everyone has a need to respond to the gospel, to rest in his mercy. Continuing in verse 11, this is Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says, "...for there is no partiality with God." For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. This is what I was describing in the previous program, and that is that there are unbelievers who abide under their own law, which is not explicitly defined as the law of God that was expressed through Moses, but there are also religious people who abide under the law that was given by God that is described as the law of Moses, but whether you have the law of Moses or you have your own law, it doesn't matter. Neither one of those things is as important as recognizing that everyone is going to sin and everyone is going to perish, that it really is that hopeless. This is what he's saying here, that if you have the law, you're going to perish. If you don't have the law, you're going to perish. It doesn't matter if you have the law, you don't have the law. The law was only given for the purpose of showing people that they were going to perish. But even though they don't have the law, the law that they have out of their own imagination can be used just as well. That's what I want you to understand, is that it doesn't matter. You will perish with the law or you will perish without the law. That the law will not do anything for you. It will not do anything to provide you with an opportunity to be blessed. It will do nothing to provide you with an opportunity to be rewarded. It will do nothing to establish you as an individual who is righteous. It will do nothing to establish you as an individual who will be rewarded in any way whatsoever before your God. That when a judgment is exercised, the subject of the law does not even have to come up. The unbelievers don't have it and they're going to be judged. The believers may have it and they're going to be judged if that's how they want to be judged. But so many people believe that the law was given to us so that we could know how to live, so that we could do those things that are good, so that we could stop sinning. But no, even if you have it, you will perish just the same because it was not given for those purposes. People believe that it was, but that is a deception. That is not true. He never said that. You will never succeed. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And so they will also perish with the law. And will anyone cease to sin either with or without the law? No. And so everyone will will perish. Continuing into Romans chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So who's going to do the law? No one is going to do the law. That's the point. No one will ever be justified. But regardless of whether you have the law or you don't have the law, People still live by their own forms of laws, and those laws can be used in order to what? Bless an individual? Reward an individual? No, in order to condemn an individual. Continuing into verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. This is according to his gospel, according to Paul's gospel. People will be judged according to that. And so you've got two different categories of people again. You've got the non-religious and the religious, the unbelievers and the believers, Regardless of whether they are non-religious or religious, believers or unbelievers, it doesn't matter, because when an individual lives according to a life of repentance and obedience, when an individual pursues that, they are always going to fail. They're always going to end up at a point, they're always going to end up in a circumstance where they have a need for the mercy of God, and that is the gospel. That is Paul's gospel. His gospel is very simple. That everyone has a need for his mercy, regardless of whether you are religious, non-religious, obedient or not obedient. It doesn't matter whether you are sinning or not sinning. Those things are no longer of significance, but they are significant to us. Why are they so significant to us? Because people still believe, people still believe that God is going to evaluate them according to their deeds. Well, he can if you want him to. And if you don't want to trust in the gospel, then that is the only alternative. There is no alternative but to be judged according to your works. And what's that going to look like? That's going to be very depressing. That's what that's going to look like. And so you don't want to end up in that situation. You want to be the recipient of his mercy. When you understand that that is the condition of humanity as a whole... And when you understand that the gospel has been revealed, the good news has been revealed, that the judgment is truly going to be very simple. Did you trust and rely on his mercy? Or did you trust and rely on your works? That's it. It's as simple as that. For those who want to trust and rely on their works, they're going to experience the wrath of God. For those who rely on his mercy, they're going to be the recipients of his mercy. Now, there is a distinct advantage to trusting in his mercy, and to relying on the gospel, to believe in the gospel now. There is a very big advantage to that. Individuals can experience a different life entirely. When they believe the gospel, there is a new door that will be opened to them, and when they believe in the gospel, they can walk through that door and enter into an entirely new way of life. What is this life? This life is a life of peace and rest. It is no longer a life of having the need to find a way to be obedient and repentant. There is no longer a need to go around passing judgment and condemning others for the sins that they are committing when you commit the same sins or other sins that are of similar magnitude, especially when it comes to the bottom line of not truly believing and trusting in your God. They can easily be defined in the context of being just as evil as the other ones. But there is an entirely different way of life. Listen, if you receive his mercy, then you can live on the basis of his mercy. And what kind of a life is that? Well, it's a very simple one. It's not complicated. It's very simple. I believe anyone can understand. And they may not be able to understand as much as other people understand, but they can understand enough And that's what I mean by anybody can understand, because anybody can understand the simplicity of the good news. Everyone can appreciate their need for mercy and forgiveness. And those who will receive his mercy and forgiveness can then live with their God being with them. Because he said that he would come and take up residency within us, within our hearts. That he would be with us, that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. This is what he said. This is what he promised. Now, listen to me very carefully. If your God is with you, if he is never going to leave you, and he's always going to be in your presence, just as you will now always be in his, do you understand that this is a very powerful description of acceptance? I mean, think about your life and think about the people who you have either hurt or who have thought that you hurt them either way. And think about the fact that those individuals don't hang out with you anymore. They don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. They're going on living their lives without you. This is an individual who does not accept you anymore for whatever reason. And, of course, the reason is not important. What I want you to see is that when your God says that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you, This is a description to help you understand that he does truly accept you, that he is not ashamed of you, that there is no need for him to be ashamed of you, even in the midst of your sinfulness, because the truth has been revealed now. The truth has been revealed that when we sin, it's because we're empty, it's because we're dealing with the issues of the emptiness within us, and He sees us in that context, and we now know that He truly sees us in that context. We understand that He understands why we commit sin, and that this is an opportunity to be reminded of the necessity of believing and trusting that He does accept us, that He does love us. Now, when we do, when we do rest, in the acceptance that he has for us. This leads us to a form of repentance. How does it do that? Well, recall what I have expressed in the previous programs about the importance of acceptance, that many people will engage in sin because they want someone to accept them. What is the temptation? Where is the temptation really found? The temptation is found in the fact that that people want to be accepted. And they believe that if they engage in some sin, that they will be accepted by these individuals. If not fully accepted, then at least they will believe that they are. They will feel as if they are. Even though they may know full well that it's not true, they may still feel as if it is. And that can be even more powerful in some people's lives than the truth of whether they are or they are not where it doesn't matter whether it's true or not, just as long as they feel like it is. That's how powerful this need is. That's how powerful this issue is. But when you rest in the acceptance that your God has for you, think about that for just a minute. If you can take a collection of a dozen people in this world, let's just use this as an example. If you can find 12 people who you know personally, who you really want, to have in your life. You really want them to be involved in the things that you are doing, and you want to be involved in the things that they are doing, and you really want them to accept you. Think about maybe a dozen people, or a half a dozen people, it doesn't really matter, and understand that you are highly motivated to engage in a lot of things because you want these people to like you. But think about the living God in comparison I mean, think about this God who is probably better understood as the big G, you know, the one who has created all things, the one who has made all things. Are any of these individuals more impressive than he is? I mean, are any of these individuals going to tell you the kinds of things that he can? Are they going to be able to give you any insights that can compete with what he can share with you? Absolutely not. What he offers is something greater. He offers himself, who is greater than anyone who you can possibly encounter in this world. And so if you want to be accepted by someone, be accepted by him. And when you are accepted by him, and when you do grow to know him in a personal, intimate way, then these other individuals are of no comparison And the temptation to engage in sin to be accepted by these individuals will drastically be minimized, significantly be reduced. It is in this way that you will find it trivial in many respects to repent, which means to turn away from these sins to such an extent where it is unlikely you will ever return to those sins at all in any way whatsoever. When you can consider a comparison between having a relationship with your God and having a relationship with anyone on this earth, there truly is no comparison. It's difficult to embrace this until you actually experience a relationship with your God. I understand that, and I want you to understand that too, and I want you to recognize that, that if you don't really have much of a personal interactive relationship with your God, then be at peace with that and understand that until you do, that it is going to be a significant struggle. It's going to be a significant obstacle in your life because the temptations will easily overrun you, easily overpower you. And as long as you acknowledge that that is the reason why, then it can be a lot easier to first turn to His mercy and also to be patient and to turn to Him with greater desire to know him so that he will set you free in the right way for the right purposes. But this is what I believe Paul was describing in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I'm going to go back to verse 4 where it says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Well, that's the point, is that when you are first discovering who your God is, or even when you are bound by a significant amount of religion, or you are bound by the sins and the indulgence of your flesh, you're not going to know what his kindness is. You're not going to know what his tolerance and patience truly is. It's only when you do that you will discover how that has an effect in your heart. It really is important to see this. It's very important for you to see this. That until you do, you will think lightly of the riches of his kindness. You will think lightly of that. And to understand that you do think lightly of it. And I want you to embrace that. I want you to look at yourself in a mirror. I want you to see yourself in this light. And see yourself as an individual. I want you to confess And to acknowledge the truth and not live in denial, I want you to acknowledge the truth that you think lightly, that you do not take very seriously the kindness of his riches, of his riches of kindness and tolerance and patience and mercy and love and acceptance, that you do think lightly of those things. To acknowledge that reality is an initial step that a person needs to go through in order to make that transition to turning to him, to turn to him for the riches, to seek him in such a way that you want to know the depths of who he is and what he has, that you need to know him in a more personal and intimate way. And I really believe that if you will pursue him, that he will reveal himself to you, that he will do that. He will gradually show you the things that are true, that you need to believe in order to let go of the things that you believe that are not true. And when you make that exchange, when you exchange those things that are not true for those things that are, then over time you will know what he said when he said that you will know that the kindness of your God leads you to repentance. It leads you to that because of the way that he fulfills your heart. Now, there is no law that has anything to do with this at all. There is no description of obedience or repentance. There is no requirement to get the sin out of your life first. There is no requirement for you to live in obedience to a certain percentage of the commandments that he has given. There is no requirement for that at all. The law was never given for the purpose of getting you to stop indulging your flesh. Do you understand that? It was never given for that purpose, and so don't expect it to ever fulfill that. The Lord himself will do a work in your heart. He can do this when a person is struggling with the issues of the law or they are struggling without the issues of the law. When they are struggling with the issues of obedience and repentance or whether they are not struggling with the issues of obedience or repentance because this is completely unrelated to these issues to the extent that he will do a work in you because of his grace and mercy. However, when people are burdened, by these things. It is in that way that they are related because a person is distracted because they are taken away from who? From their God, who has already forgiven them, who does not see them in the midst of their sinfulness, who does not pass judgment against them. As a result of their sins, as is defined by the law, he does not do that unless you want him to, unless you want to reject the new covenant, then you have no alternative. He has no alternative but to judge you according to your works. So Romans chapter two is actually a beginning of the discussion of law and grace. This is where he starts. He starts by explaining that no one, no one will escape his wrath and indignation unless... An individual is willing to rest in what he has already accomplished. But the fact is, is that the majority of people that I personally have encountered have no interest in resting in what he has accomplished, but they are still living, they are still believing that their accomplishments, that their obedience, that their good works, that what they do or what they don't do will be a factor concerning their relationship with their God that they will be judged. They are unwilling to recognize that Romans chapter 2 verses 9 through 16 are written for the purpose of explaining to us that there is no escape, that you will perish with the law or you will perish without the law. Either way, you're going to perish, whether you have the law or you don't. And that the law will do nothing, it will do absolutely nothing, to direct a person or to lead a person to repentance. Unfortunately, people do not want to believe that. They still want to believe that the threat of judgment will lead them to repentance. But let me explain to you something very clearly, and that is that the reason why people believe that is because they do not understand verse 4. They do not believe verse 4. They do not believe that his kindness and tolerance and patience will lead a person to repentance. They don't believe that. Instead, they believe that his judgment will lead a person to repentance. But it says clearly here that his judgment has nothing to do with leading a person to repentance. It has to do with showing an individual that they have a need for his grace and mercy and his kindness, so that a person will receive that. And it is that that will direct a person to repent. The goal, of course, is not to figure out how to get people to repent. That's nothing more than a side effect. That's something that happens within an individual as they grow to know their God. And I'm using the example of acceptance in this program to demonstrate to you that many of the sins that people commit have to do with their need for acceptance. And if a person will rest in his acceptance, then it will set them free from the temptations and the burdens of the sins that they were tempted with beforehand. But people don't believe that. They don't know that. And so take this very seriously and recognize those people who do not know. They either do not know because they are ignorant or they do know and they're not willing to tell you, in which case they're nothing more than frauds. This is a very serious matter. You must come to the end of your own repentance. You must come to the end of your own pursuit of obedience And repentance, and repent from your acts of repentance and obedience and trust in what he has accomplished so that you can walk in the newness of life that we now have before us.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.